0: Our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. This can be found on page 855 in your pew Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take one home with you as a gift from us. So here's the, the reading. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came and said to her, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb And bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be? Since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be
1: to God. You may be seated. Thanks, Dakota reading scripture for us this morning. We're really glad that each of you is here this morning. If I haven't met you before, my name is Bill Gorman, and we're really glad that you are with us this Advent season, whether you're here with us in the room or if you're joining us online. We're so glad uh, that you've joined us either way and that you are with us celebrating in this season. And this is our second week in a series that we're doing this Advent season called He Shall Be Called. And we're looking at these various names of God in the Bible and how they reveal his character and how ultimately that they find their fulfillment in the person of Jesus and so this morning as we continue in that series I'd love to take a moment and just pause uh, to pray and ask for God's um, blessing and help as we look at this passage of scripture so let's let me pray over us now as we continue worshiping together so father in heaven you are the one who has revealed yourself to us as I am you have revealed yourself um, to us most fully in the person of Jesus And so we pray now that by the power of the Holy Spirit you might show us Jesus in new ways this morning as we consider who you are and who you've revealed yourself to your people to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, sometimes what you don't know can actually be helpful. Sometimes, what you don't know can be helpful, especially when it comes to uh, reading the Bible at the Advent season. And let me explain what I mean. If if you are newer to reading the Bible, uh, or maybe you've not been a churchgoer uh, for a lot of your life, or maybe you're just younger, so you just haven't been reading the Bible as long as some others, you are actually sometimes in an advantage when you're reading some of these stories in the Bible, particularly the ones around Christmas that for many of us, are so familiar. Because if you've grown up around church and you're older and you've read these stories and you've been through a lot of Christmases, these stories of Christmas, like the one we just heard read, they're they're so familiar to us that we often miss the bizarre and fascinating details because they've just become so commonplace for us. And one of those details that I want to focus our attention on this morning is the angels the angels that are mentioned uh, several times just in the verses that Dakota read for us this morning, the angels in these accounts are, are as much a part of Christmas and kind of the Christmas imagery and decor in our cultural setting as Santa and Rudolph. It's like we, we see angels at Christmas time in nativity scenes and on Christmas trees, and we don't think anything of it. And if I had to guess, I bet for most of us, whether, again, whether we consider ourselves Christians or not, we would kind of functionally accord angels about the same level of reality and believability as Santa and the reindeer. But here in Luke chapter one, Luke presents them as real, not not just symbolic or, or metaphorical, which challenges our modern Western framework of reality. I get that. But my hope this morning is that by end of our time together, that you will have at least a sense of longing for the worldview, the picture of reality that the Bible gives us, that you would have a longing for that to be true. That, that even if at the end of our time, you still have some doubts, you still have some questions, that you'd at least want this view of reality to be true, even if you struggle to believe it too, that that there's something would happen within you that would ignite a longing. Because the presence of the angels here reveals a profound truth that Christians believe, a truth about a God who fights for us. A God who, because he fights for us, is able to give us rest. And after all, when we think about the holiday season, December, second week of Advent, isn't that what we all think of as rest? Just relaxation, wide open calendars, low stress, nothing to do, nothing to buy, nothing to cook or or clean or prepare for. Of course not. I mean, this is the time of year where it's just nothing to do. No, of course not. I mean, how many of us look at our December on our calendars and think, yeah, this is just such a slow and restful time of year. I mean, this is is the busyness of the holiday season, the busyness of of year-end work For, for many of you. I know that you're in industries, whether that's in medicine, whether it's elective surgeries that are all kind of piling up toward the end of the year, or sales where you're wrapping up things and getting stuff done for the final month of the year travel, hosting if you're in school, final papers and reports and tests, and if you're a teacher, likewise, wrapping up everything for the end of the year. It is a full time, plus the travel, the hosting, the food, the preparing, the decorating. But the presence of the angels in this story reminds us of the incredible reality that the God who we worship is the God who fights for us who gives us rest. And there's actually a specific name of God used in the scriptures that focuses on who he is as the commander and ruler of the spiritual forces of the cosmos, the angels and the spiritual beings. And the name, which in all of its various forms, is used 284 different times in the Bible. So it's it's used a lot. And that name is the Lord of Hosts. The Lord of Hosts. And this is the the second of five names that we're looking at in this series in Advent that we're calling He Shall Be Called. And we're going to trace what each one of these names means about the God who made us, about the God who has come to find us, and how these names find their ultimate meaning in the person of Jesus made human. So today we're going to go on a journey together looking at this name, the Lord of Hosts. And as we do, we're going to discover the truth that Advent means that you can stop striving and start resting. Advent means you can stop striving and start resting. And if you only remember one thing from this morning, if you only jot one thing down, I'd encourage you to, to make it that. that Advent means you can stop striving and start resting. So first, Advent means that you can stop striving because someone fights for you. Advent means you can stop striving because someone fights for you. Like I said before, this is one of those names or titles for God that is used over 280 times in the Bible, but it is also one of the most mysterious names. In fact, both translators in, in ancient times as they were translating this language into to Greek and other languages, and, and modern translators today working to translate this name into English, they've really struggled how to bring this name across. And host, I don't think is particularly helpful for us in English, because at least to me, it sounds like the scriptures are saying that God is the Lord of everyone who hosts dinner parties, right? That somehow he's like the original Martha Stewart or Joanna Gaines, that he's the Lord of the hosts. But the biblical imagination, this idea the name hosts, is a way of talking about heavenly beings, angels, which again, in the ancient Hebrew worldview, were associated with the sun, the moon, the stars, when uh, ancient Near Eastern people, including ancient Near Eastern Israelites, looked up into the sky and saw the stars. They, They didn't see a vast emptiness of an expanding universe. That wasn't what they had in their imagination. They, they saw a dome with lights in it, and those lights they viewed as at least representations of the spiritual beings in the heavens, the angels. And so I want you to listen to Psalm 148 this morning. And just as a quick note as we go through, typically at Christ's community, what we do is we take one kind of passage on a Sunday and we kind of just dig deep into that text and try to unpack everything that's there and, and apply it. This morning, we're gonna do something a little bit different, which is we're gonna trace this theme of the Lord of hosts through the Bible. So you're welcome to turn with me to a number of different passages as we go this morning. Also, feel free just to, they'll be on the screens as well. But again, a lot of times we're just looking at one text. This morning, we're gonna look at a number of texts. And so Psalm 148, you get this picture of the overlapping imagery of the heavens, the heights, the angels, the sun, the moon, the stars. So, let, Take a look at this. It's on the screens. Psalm 148 verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Notice that language. Praise him in the heights. Praise him all his angels. Praise him all his hosts. And then you get the sort of astrological features here. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Okay, so great. We can get a picture from Psalm 148 and other parts of the Bible that these angels, these heavenly beings, they are what it means for God to be the, the, the host. But where do we get this idea that he fights for us? Well, for that, we need to look at Isaiah 31. Isaiah 31 is written at a time when God's people are facing invasion from an army to the north. There's this military force that's amassing at their northern border. They are fearful for their lives, for their families, that this enemy is going to invade them. It's a brutal enemy that they are going to be tor- tortured, killed, brought into captivity, and they are desperate for help. And specifically, they start looking for a military alliance, another country, another nation who will make an alliance with them to fend off this group of people. And they're specifically looking to the Egyptians in this moment. Now, if you've been around church and you've read your Bible a while, you may recall that the Egyptians, right, are, are the very people that had enslaved the Israelites hundreds of years before this, before God brought them out. And now they're, they're turning and looking to Egypt for help. But God says, don't do that. Listen to Isaiah chapter 31. This is God speaking. He says, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. Down to verse three, the Egyptians are man and not God and their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, the helper will stumble and he who is helped will fall and they will all perish together. And this is key, listen to this. For thus the Lord says to me, as a lion or a young lion growls over his prey, and when a band of shepherds is called out against him, the lion, he's not terrified by their shouting or daunted by their noise. So the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion and on its hill like a bird hovering so the Lord of hosts will protect Jerusalem. He will protect and deliver it. He will spare and rescue it. This vivid picture, it's a powerful image of God. The Lord of hosts who's going to come and fight on behalf of his people. They don't need to go and form a military alliance with Egypt. God is going to fight for them. And that's a, that's a powerful image of this lion, this young lion. If you ever watch one of those nature shows and you see a lion having you know, killed a wildebeest or something, and there's the hyenas or the vultures and whatever else who are wanting to, to get in on the feast, and all that lion has to do is look up and, and growl. And everybody scatters, right? That's, that's the picture that the author is giving us here, that there's a lion that has killed an animal and the shepherds are going out trying to scare it away and all the lion does is just look up and growl and the shepherds run away. He's not daunted, he's not afraid of them. That's who God as the Lord of hosts is to his people. One who fights for them, one whose growl can send the enemies scattering running away. He's the one who defends you and fights for you. They don't have to fight for themselves. I love how Hebrew Bible scholar C.L. describes this. He says, the name Lord of Hosts denotes God as a victorious warrior, enthroned as king, who fights the battles of his people in the historical realm and will fight the ultimate battle in the end of time. You know, another great example of this truth about God fighting for his people that's actually in the, the Bible itself is the story of David and Goliath Again, this is one of the the most well-known stories in all the Bible. Whether you're a regular church attender or not, you've probably heard the name David and Goliath and know a bit of the story. In many ways, it's, it's actually similar to the situation that Isaiah is talking about in Isaiah 31. Here's another moment in Israel's history where an enemy force, the Philistines, are amassed against God's people. And they have a champion named Goliath. He's this big, tall, giant of a guy who's just taunting the Israelite armies day after day. And no one has the courage to go out and fight until God picks David. a Shepherd boy, a teenager, and he says, I'm gonna go and do this. And notice what David says in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45, what he says when he goes out to fight Goliath. Then David said to Goliath the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, those the kind of weapons of, of battle of mankind, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. And you know, a thousand years later, Jesus, the son of David, the great, 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 great grandson of David, would be born. This pastor, Tim Keller, puts it, Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. You know, often we read the story of David and Goliath and think, you know, I'm David and there's Goliath and I have these problems and they're kind of represented by him. But really, we should see ourselves in that story, not as David, but as the cowering Israelites who need a champion, who need God to defeat the enemy on our behalf. And he has done that. Church, Advent means you don't have to strive anymore. You have someone who fights for you. But that's not all. Advent also means that you can start resting. It's not just that you can stop striving, but you can also start resting. And you can start resting because someone else wins for you. Someone else has, has won the battle on your behalf. And, and you see this in one of the most well-known um, Old Testament passages that is fulfilled in Jesus. Again, even if you are not a Bible reader, if you've ever been to a performance of Handel's Messiah, you've heard these verses before. This is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. These are classic verses at Christmas time. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of his increase, of his government of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. And from this time forth and forevermore. And and we're left there in that moment with a bit of a question of how will this be? And then you get the final words of verse 7. How will this be? (laughs) The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He will accomplish it. He will win the battle. He will do this. How are these great promises going to come about? He will do it. We can rest because the Lord of hosts who fights for you has won for you. He will do this and he has done it. Jesus has come and even as we wait for him to come again, we can rest knowing that he will accomplish the work. And when King Jesus was born in a dirty cave in Bethlehem, when the long-awaited Lord of hosts finally comes, when he accomplishes the great promises of all these Old Testament prophets, who is there to announce the good news of his arrival but the heavenly hosts? This is Luke chapter 2 beginning in verse 11. The shepherds are watching their flocks. Verse 11, their skies are filled with angels and it says, For unto you, unto you this day is born the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swatting cloths and lying in a manger. And then verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. because the Lord of hosts fights for you, you can stop striving and because he's accomplished this before this, this for you, because he has won the battle, you can rest. but how do we begin to put that truth to work on Monday in our lives in our in our bodies, not just in our memory banks, but in our muscle memory, in our bodies, as we go from this place of a little bit of rest here in this moment on a Sunday morning into the, the fullness of what December is, when you start that tomorrow, how do you remember, apply, hang on to this, this truth that God is the one who fights for you? Well, I want to suggest the next step for us in that today. And that is to wait for the one who fights for you. The Advent is a season of waiting. It's a season of of waiting when we remember, in a sense, when we reenact the long waiting, the thousands of years of waiting, of God's people in the past, or waiting for Jesus' arrival, for him to come. It's also, though, a season of waiting where we remember that we are still waiting for Jesus to return again and to set all things new and make all things right. What she's promised to do. So, in this season of waiting, we are confronted with the reality that all is not as it should be broken marriages, addiction, human trafficking, deaths of despair, racism, disappointment with parents, worries about children. We list so many more things. They're all vivid reminders that we need someone to fight for us. Painful reminders that we need the Lord of hosts on our side, that we need to wait with patience for him to do and to win and accomplish what we haven't and can't and won't be able to accomplish on our own. But how do we wait? How do we remember in this? Well, I want you to take a moment right now, even in the service, to think of a battle that feels like you're fighting. An area where you're striving. It could be a relational conflict with someone in your life. It could be sort of a seemingly intractable problem at work, health, finances, anything. But, But think of that place where you're doing all that you can and it's not working that place where, where you feel like I've done all I can do and I don't know where else to go, I don't know what the next move is, I don't know the next step forward and I feel overwhelmed. So think about that for a moment. Even just notice where do you feel that in your, in your body, in your chest? Where do, you, where do you feel that? Okay, if you got that in your mind, you're, you're feeling that, good. Now, I, I want to invite you, and this, this may, may seem weird, but I'm going to ask you to actually do this with me in this moment. I want to invite you just to, right where you're sitting, just to kind of clench, clench your fists. <laughs> just as a way of acknowledging, as you feel that tension, and even in your fists, as you're clenching, in, you're clenching your fists, to acknowledge that I've been fighting this battle on my own. Acknowledging that place of striving, naming the reality that you are holding on in your own strength. So as you're clenching your fists tight, then, then now in a moment, just take... A deep breath and open those hands. Your palms are naturally upward in that moment. Just as a sign that I, I'm releasing that battle, I'm giving that battle to the Lord of hosts. And also holding those open, hands open to receive the rest that he offers. The rest that he has won for you. And I'd encourage you this week, maybe just to do that occasionally. When you start to feel that sense of overwhelm or loneliness or despair or frustration or anger, to just clench your fists. Just as a reminder, like I'm fighting this battle. Then to take a deep breath, open your, your hands. It's kind of as like an enacted prayer, <laughs> an embodied prayer of saying, I surrender this to you, I give this back to you. And I, I want to be in a posture of receiving the rest that you have to offer to me. A prayer of trust that the Lord of hosts has fought for you, has won for you, that it is his, his zeal, not our striving, that accomplishes his purpose. So this week, when you see a nativity scene, that you're bound to see somewhere in a picture in a store, We have one right here in in our building as you walk out. As you see the nativity scene, notice the angels. Don't overlook them, don't ignore them. Let them remind you that the baby in the manger in that scene is the Lord of hosts, that he is the commander of those armies of angels, of those spiritual beings that he has fought and won the battle for you. That he is zealous for your healing and wholeness, that he is zealous for your rescue, that the child who is born to us, the son who is given to us, that he is wonderful counselor, that he is mighty God, that he is everlasting Father, prince of peace. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies and angels, has accomplished this. And yet he's done it in a way that no one would have expected, because when he comes, he doesn't come down as sort of ripped Santa, right? That's not how he comes. He doesn't come with force and with might, but he comes as a weak and vulnerable human baby. As one who, at the end of his life, said to those who thought they needed to defend him as he was being arrested and betrayed. Remember, Peter, in that moment of Jesus' arrest, he, he draws a sword. He, he chops off someone's, ear, someone's ears. And what does Jesus say in that moment? Do you not think I can call my Father and he will at once put at my disposal 12 legions of angels? Peter, I, I'm the Lord of hosts. I command all of the spiritual forces in the universe. So all of that means you don't have to be afraid of your weakness and your brokenness. You don't have to, to fix or save or rescue yourself. The Lord of hosts has come for you, and he has fought the battle. He has won. Advent means that you can stop striving and that you can start resting. So let's wait for him with open hands this Advent season. Let me pray over us now. Lord of hosts, we wait for you, and as we wait for you, we pray these words that are even in this journal that we've been working through this Advent season. Lord of hosts, there is no other name in heaven or on earth that is as mighty as yours. We ask for your protection from our enemies, whether within or without, spiritual or embodied. We know that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And for this reason, we are grateful that you fight on our behalf. Even the birth of our Savior, Jesus, was heralded by heaven's armies. As we face trials and temptations and adversity, let us not fear, but boldly face them, knowing that you are strong to save. Amen.